Hi, I'm Courtney. And I'm Jacqueline, and this is Caffeinated Crimes. And welcome back to another episode of your favorite true crime podcast. Hopefully, maybe, probably not. Who knows? Um. (laughs) Doesn't sound like it from our Apple podcast reviews, but you know, it's fine. It's fine. Um, If you are a regular listener, you know we switched it up because every time Jacqueline (laughs) went to say hi, she had some vocal fry going on because she's had visitors and talking. Um, So we switched it up and now I have to do an intro. So if it sucks... To be expected. (laughs) Just blame it on Jacqueline's vocal fry because I'm losing my voice and I can hang through pretty well. But that initial like high just was not cutting it. And yeah, it just kind of kept going, huh? (laughs) A little too high. (laughs) We needed a little lower. (laughs) Low, it's Jacqueline. No, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) What if that's how we said high instead of low? Like what if like through all of life instead of saying hi you always just like low 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 you know i wonder what bye would be no clue (laughs) i don't know this intro is uh it's a winner i mean i will say it is better than last week's where i think we spent (laughs) entirely too much time talking about toenails that is very true i think that one is gonna take the cake in terms of horrible intros that we've done (laughs) Yeah, well, if you have a better intro, start your own podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, write <laughs> us in and let us know what is a better intro. Clearly, we uh, do not play in this part, and we just jump in and wing it. So you get what you get, you know. But what we do plan is some of our true crime updates. Um, so we yes. do have a pretty big true crime update. Derek Chauvin has officially been sentenced, um, and he is going to spend 22 and a half years in prison, or at least he should. He will probably appeal it. Um, and hopefully it's just the beginning of some justice to police officers. It is not mm-hmm. enough. I don't think anything would ever be enough because George Floyd's family doesn't have him anymore. Um, but hopefully mm-hmm. it's a start. And hopefully if he appeals it, everyone will be like, go fuck yourself. And... He'll get a longer sentence somehow. (laughs) Yes. And as we know, you know, 22 and a half years is probably more like 10 to 12 years, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is something, hopefully it at least kind of sets the precedent. But again, it's, it's not justice and it won't be, but hopefully it's scratching the surface to get started on that. And I think I saw something where, like, in his mom's statement, she was like, I'll probably be be dead by the time he gets out. And I'm like, well, George Floyd's daughter will never see him again. So mm-hmm. you, maybe exactly. your son should have thought of that before he killed him. So And, you know, you can go visit him, at least, and talk to yeah. him and write letters to him. And he's still alive. And that's different. Yeah. Which I never want to blame, like like family members of murderers no. but also if you're going to come not. out and say that statement I mean you kind of get what's coming to you <laughs> that is very true that is very true you need to uh recognize the hierarchy of victims here you know I won't yeah. say that his family are not victims in the whole mm-hmm. situation but you have to recognize the hierarchy of victims yeah definitely if I ever write a uh, a book that's going to be the title I don't know what the book's going to be about but I like it <laughs> It's going to be a book about, it's like a cookbook, just called Hierarchy of Victims. There's going to be a lot of confused people buying that book. Um, In other sad news, as we like to do, um, this week a condo building near Miami collapsed, like part of the building just fell in and collapsed Mm -hmm. on itself. 
Um, as of this recording, which is June 27th, um, nine people are confirmed dead, but 156 are still missing. And this was days ago that this happened. So so it's not looking good. <laughs> no. So likely a very large number of those um, are also dead. And it's just horrifying. And I guess they were told previously that this building needed to have inspections done and updates and anything over like so many stories needed like structural standards. <laughs> yeah. Like checkups, like so- something needed to happen. Like it wasn't up to code that it should have been and they Mm -hmm. were warned of that and then this is what happens so just super super sad and definitely thinking about all of the people who could still be alive in the rubble um, and then also the families of those who are confirmed dead or are still missing and that's so hard too to be like your family member's still missing but you're probably expecting the worst but you can't Mm -hmm. even get that closure of like you know, knowing where they are because it's just so much. And like also to be maybe even on the other side of that apartment building and what you probably heard um, and experienced. And I mean, that is traumatizing. And it was like this condo right on the beach. So I'm sure these people paid a lot of money Mm -hmm. and you should have fixed it. Um, So hopefully this maybe will raise awareness of, people like shitty landlords who Mm -hmm. decide to not fix the issues when they should or something because it's just ridiculous yeah which is a big issue that happens all the time you know whether it's little things or big things or you know whatever and obviously this is like the absolute worst of Mm -hmm. that situation but yeah definitely hope it raises awareness of that and leads to some reform along that because there are a lot of laws that protect landlords and not so many that actually protect tenants. They're there in theory, but there's so many loopholes and, you know, who has the financial means in that situation? The landlord. And it usually works out in their favor. So, yeah, I've been very fortunate with where everywhere I've rented that usually anytime something's wrong, especially majorly Mm -hmm. wrong, it gets fixed like really quickly or as fast as it Mm -hmm. can. Um, But I have had friends in apartment complexes who were just like, oh, my air went out in the heat of summer and they didn't care. (laughs) It never got fixed. Um, So it can happen for sure. Yep, definitely. So today's episode, we are going to focus on the murder of Diane McIver or death, mysterious death murder (laughs) who knows you'll find out i don't know listen to the end and then maybe still don't know (laughs) so our resources for today was a dateline episode it's season 26 episode 40 called deadly detour um a gen the generation y podcast and that was episode 270 of theirs um legacy.com which contained diane's obituary a few atlanta journal constitution articles a cbs news article a yahoo news article and a wsb tv article on september 25th 2016 tex and diane mciver as well as her friend danny joe were driving home when diane was mysteriously shot in the back let's find out what happened (laughs) dun 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 that's what happens when you get an intro off the top of your head. So (laughs) the rest is scripted. Don't worry. (laughs) Yes, it will get better from here. (laughs) So Diane Smith was born on July 21st, 1953 in Auburn, Alabama. She did not have a great childhood and she really didn't get along well with her mother. So she did leave Auburn right after graduating high school and she decided to move to Atlanta to look for success. 
So she immediately started working as a bookkeeper at U.S. Enterprises. So this company dealt with like commercial real estate development, truck shop ownership, various retail operations, as well as outdoor and airport advertising. So they kind of did everything, sounds like. (laughs) A jack of all trades over there. So she quickly caught the attention of her boss, who noticed how hardworking, intelligent, and ambitious she was. So she told him that she could keep doing her job and do the job of other employees as well. So he promoted her, and she quickly moved up to the com- in the company, and she did eventually become the company's president. So really, really great worker here if you move up that quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, clearly she had something going on for her that she was able to, like, not know anyone and start out and be able to move up that quickly. Yeah. So Diane had been married once before, but it didn't work out, and a couple did get a divorce. So Diane met her best friend, Danny Joe Carter, in the 80s, and Danny Joe was a cosmetologist, and they did um, hang out together very frequently. Diane had very expensive tastes and enjoyed buying luxury clothing and jewelry, especially furs. Like, she works hard for the money, so mm-hmm. spend that money, honey. <laughs> yes. You do you, Diane. Yeah. If you Hey, if you have the means to go and get all your luxury clothing, like, go for it, like, I wish Mm. I could. (laughs) So she loved children, although she never had any of her own. And Diane was in her 50s when she met Claude Tex McIver. So Tex was from San Antonio, and he was well known around Atlanta as a labor lawyer. So apparently, I guess if you had like, uh, like workman comps issues, I think Mm -hmm. they said, or like different stuff like that. He's the one who always came in to help. Mm Mm-hmm. He was described as a gentleman with old-fashioned values, and he would, you know, stand up when a woman walked in the room, like, just really old-fashioned, really your, uh, what's his name? John Wayne? That cowboy? That's what I'm picturing. It's not his name? That's his name, but I don't know if he was very gentlemanly. I don't know much about him, but, you know. I don't know if he was gentlemanly either, <laughs> but that's what I picture, like an old Western guy mm-hmm. who's got, like, a big hat. You know what he I mean? Calling everyone ma'am. Opens your car door or, you know, your carriage door, puts you on the horse, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, he's like, bow, bow, when someone threatens you. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Whenever I was, like, reading about Tex McIver, I just pictured John Wayne in my head. Oh, well. Don't know why. That makes sense. <laughs> let, me, let me know what you guys picture <laughs> when you're hearing this, unless you've already Googled well, it. Well, now they're going to picture him as John Wayne, so good job. <laughs> <laughs> So, like Diane, he was also divorced, and they met when they lived in the same condo complex. Um, So, Tex slipped a note under her door welcoming her to the building, and Diane wasn't really into Tex. She was like, no, I'm good. Thanks, no thanks. Um, After her first marriage had dissolved, she really wasn't looking to start anything new. But Tex got one of her friends to help him so they could bump into each other and talk again. (laughs) So she agreed to go over to his apartment for dinner. And after dinner, she seemed to really like him. She's like, okay, maybe this guy's not too bad. And they did start spending time together and eventually started dating. So he actually started subleasing his apartment and bought the one next to her so he could be closer. This is how dedicated this man is. They were already in the same condo complex. (laughs) Yes. So he just was, Yeah. (laughs) That wasn't close enough, though. <laughs> yeah, and this was like they bought the condos. Like, it wasn't like mm-hmm. I'm renting it for a year. Like, he owned this condo. and was like, well, I'm going to sublease it and buy this one because <laughs> I need to be even closer. <laughs> so, and they wanted to be even closer and eventually tore down the wall that separated them to create just one large condo. 
Tex also had an impressive 86-acre ranch in Putnam County, which is about 75 miles outside of Atlanta, and his ranch had a pool, a gun range, a saloon, horses, and cattle. Like, John Wayne over here, y'all. He's got his cattle. He's got, like, a whole, like, summer camp going on there. Why would you, I guess, like, if you need to be, like, in town for business, you would need a condo, but I'm like, I would just live on this ranch forever. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But him and Diane did spend a lot of time on that ranch because, I mean, it has everything you need. Mm -hmm. And on November 5th, 2005, Tex and Diane actually got married at that ranch. And Danny Joe had helped Tex pick the ring, and Tex had actually bought a $60,000 ring for Diane. I'm sorry, what? $60,000. I read that right. I did not read it wrong. There are four zeros behind that six. (laughs) And this, I mean, not that 2005 was, like, so long ago, but this was also 2005. Like, that's... Wow. Yeah. And apparently their wedding was just described as very expensive, very over the top. I mean, if you're starting off with a $60,000 ring, (laughs) your wedding better be pretty big, too. Um, She was actually brought up to the altar in a horse and carriage. Hmm. So... Little princess. I, I wonder if they asked the horse who gave her away. <laughs> who gives this woman away? And the horse was like, nah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. So since they'd both been married and divorced before, they decided before getting married that they would just keep their finances separate. Um, especially, like, when you're in your older age, it's probably just easier to just keep mm-hmm. your accounts where they are. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> even me and Kevin are like, I don't know, are we going to merge everything? That's a <laughs> lot of work. <laughs> and a year after they wed, they were asked to be the godparents of their close friend's son, Austin. So they adored Austin, and Diane took great pleasure in spoiling him. And every year for his birthday, Tex and Diane would throw him a huge party. Tex and Diane were both politically active and collectively donated more than $100,000 to political campaigns for Republican candidates. And they would also host fundraising events for these candidates at their ranch, and they even had a Blue Lives Matter billboard put up. Yeah, so... (laughs) I had to leave that that pause in, just because, you know, y'all know our feelings. You know what we think. No further comment. No further comment. On September 25th, 2016, three weeks after Austin's 10th birthday, Tex, Diane, and Danny Joe spent the weekend at the ranch in Putnam County. They were driving home to Atlanta, and they ended up stopping for dinner on the way. Um, At this dinner, both Tex and Diane had wine, so they decided that Danny Joe was probably better to drive their Ford Expedition for the rest of the trip home. And it was about a 45-minute drive from the restaurant um, to their home. And so Diane sat up front so her and Danny Joe could chat. And Tex sat in the back seat. Um, and he was right behind Diane. So Danny Joe said they had just taken the ramp onto I-20 going into Atlanta when they noticed traffic was completely backed up. Anyone who's driven through Atlanta, you can drive through there at 2 a.m. <laughs> and you're going to be in a parking lot. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Horrible, horrible traffic always. Yep. So they're like, let's just go ahead and get off the interstate and take back roads home instead of just sitting on this backed up interstate for God knows how long. Mm -hmm. And so they got off at the Edgewood Avenue exit, and it's really close to downtown Atlanta. So they were going to go under an underpass, and I mean, it is pretty dark, it's nighttime, and there is quite a large homeless population here. 
So Tex had been dozing in the back seat and woke up after they got off the interstate. And he said, I really wish, you know, we hadn't got off the interstate. He was like, this is a bad area. I don't really like this. So he asked Diane to hand him his gun, which was in a plastic grocery bag in the center console. I'm not an expert on like gun handling or (laughs) gun keeping, but I don't think a plastic bag is regulation. (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, you would think, especially with as much money as this man has, that you could afford a more proper place to store your weapon. Yeah, you would think so, but hey, whatever works, right? (laughs) So Diane handed him his gun, and it was a thirty-eight caliber Smith & Wesson revolver, and they continued driving. So they were leaving the, in Texas' mind, sketchy area, and approaching Midtown when they stopped at a red light at Piedmont and 14th Street. Danny Joe reports hearing an explosion behind her, and she first thought they'd been hit by something. You know, maybe someone didn't see us and just ran mm-hmm. right into us, like whatever. And then while she was trying to figure out what happened, she heard Diane turn around and say, Tex, what did you do? And he said the gun had discharged. So Diane started moving in an odd way and said, Tex, you shot me. And Danny Joe said she started making weird noises, and this is when Danny Joe realized how serious the situation was. So, Tex told Danny Joe to head to Emory University Hospital. Um, at this point, Diane was really starting to panic because she's like, I just got shot in the back. And now, like, she realized what's happening. So, like, she's getting really scared. And when they arrived at the hospital, Tex walked in yelling gunshot to get the attention of the medical staff. Um, so, they arrived at the hospital at about 10.15 p.m. And an hour later, a doctor came out and said that Diane had been taken to surgery, but she was alert. She had two wounds, one in the front and one in the back. Um, The doctor had asked her where the gun had been, and she just kept replying, saying that it was an accident. Um, The entry wound was in her back, and the exit wound was through her front, and it had hit her heart. And Diane's blood pressure was also very low. Um, It was really just barely detectable at this point, so they were trying to give her a blood transfusion. And while they're trying to incubate her, she said, I'm going to die. And five minutes later, she did suffer a cardiac arrest. Um, They were trying to, you know, get her to surgery or to a hospital with a trauma center, um, but it was just too late and she just wasn't going to make it. So at this time, Danny Joe was taken to the police station for questioning. Um, She explained what had happened with Tex asking for his gun because they were in a, quote, rough neighborhood, and then all of a sudden the gun just went off. And while she's being interviewed, police received a call and had to step away, and then Danny Joe received a text saying that Diane had just passed away. So they told Danny Joe that the gunshot wound had just been too catastrophic and Diane had lost too much blood. The morning after, Tex called his sister, Dixie Martin, and told her that there had been an accident and Diane was dead. And Dixie didn't realize until later in the conversation that the accident he was referring to was him shooting Diane. Like, he didn't start with that. He just said there was an accident and she was dead. That's the thing, too. You're like, oh, no. Like, what happened? Like... Was she, you know, you're you're just thinking like, right. oh, she was cleaning the gun and it went off or this was happening. Or not, oh, you, my brother, shot your wife. <laughs> like, right. Okay. Big surprise. So police really only had Tex and Danny Joe's statements to go off of because obviously there are no other witnesses. Um, they did perform an autopsy on Diane and on September 26th, the medical examiner determined that Diane died of the gunshot wound and they did declare it a homicide. Um, so this sounds bad, but it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean that she was murdered, just that she was killed by a weapon. Like this external factor was responsible for killing her basically. Yeah. It's not like the medical examiner was like, she was murdered. It's just like, yeah. this was the like manner of you death. Know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Tex did maintain that it was an accident and the gun just went off unintentionally. So all of Diane's co-workers were just devastated by her death and her company even put her picture up on their landmark tower in Atlanta. So three days after her death, Tex and his attorney, Steve Maples, went to the police station to be interviewed. Now, I'm no expert, but you shot your wife and she died and it takes three days for the police to interview you? Like, that's absurd. That's a pretty long time, especially when the only two people who know what happened, like, Tex is one of them. And even, like, even if it was completely an accident, whatever, like, you still have to interview that Mm -hmm. person and get their statement. Three days is a long time, not only if something, you know, sketchy happened, but just to forget in general. Especially when, like, your wife dies and you're just going through this, like, trauma and you're probably not sleeping and all this like that's a long time and that's enough time for you to forget a lot of shit (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like lots of important details can be missed and it's just absurd but obviously tex has money and i feel like that might have played a role here i wonder why probably so before tex arrived his attorney was meeting with police alone and he said that all tex remembered was holding the gun in his lap in the plastic bag and then it just suddenly going off um, he said that Ted had not cocked the gun. So when Ted arrived at the police station, he first... Fr- Ted? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> How long did I... I thought I heard it. Well, I don't know. I heard it on the... He said, like, Ted said it had not been cocked. So, but I was like, I don't know. And then you said it again, and I was like... Uh. <laughs> just, we'll leave all this in, and I'll just... So, Tex, not Ted. <laughs> Who is Ted? I don't know. <laughs> Ted is just Texas alter ego that he's blaming this on. No. Um <laughs> at the police station, he further explains that he thought they were in a sketchy area because he drove through there on his way to work and there were often police cars and a large homeless presence there. So that's why he feels like this is a sketchy area, why he did this. You know how rich people feel about homeless people. It's not highly. (laughs) Exactly. So this is why he says that he asked for the gun because he didn't feel like they were safe. And then he says that he had fallen asleep and he was jerked awake when Danny Joe stopped at a red light and that's when the gun went off. So a lot of rumors started spreading online about Tex and one of them was that he and Danny Joe were having an affair, which both of them denied. Um, But because of these rumors and his high profile status in Atlanta, Tex hired a public relations consultant named Bill Crane. And in his attempt to defend himself, Tex said he was nervous in the area because there had recently been a lot of Black Lives Matter protests there. He said he didn't know if the people he saw out that night were homeless people who were going to carjack him or Black Lives Matter protesters who may turn violent like he believed previous protests had. So, either way, you're assuming that all homeless people are going to carjack you or all protesters are going to turn violent, but okay. It's just odd, though, to me because it's like, okay, but you do have this gun to defend yourself. Like, you could just have it sitting next to you. You're going to get it in the same amount of time. Like, it's in the car. (laughs) Like, it's not... Why do you need to hold it directly? Yeah. And maybe stay awake if you're holding a weapon. I don't know. General life advice. Yeah, if you're so scared that you're going to get carjacked, and you're like, eh, I'm yeah. just going to take a nap. No nappy. So for some reason, Tex thought that this statement would help his case. So he asked Bill Crane to release that information to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Um, so of course, this information went viral and did not help the public image of Tex MacGyver because... 
people saw it just like we did and we're like what are you kidding me like it just sounds like such bullshit to be like yeah like especially because at this point people are like kind of raising a few eyebrows at the Mm -hmm. whole situation and you're like tell no 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 tell them i was scared of the homeless people and the black people tell them that it'll make it all better it'll make it better they'll understand they'll understand it's like uh sir no but see no in his circle he probably believes that if he That's told true. his group of friends that they would all be like oh oh yeah totally like in his very limited view of the world i'm sure he believed that that was really going to make it better for him true um, but after he realized that it was not going to, he did try to retract the statement and say that he never said that, but obviously it's too late for that at this point. So Diane's friends and colleagues believed that Tex's behavior was just really odd following Diane's death. They said that he never appeared upset. He never made an apology for what happened. And he even asked one of Diane's business associates if he knew if he would be able to access Diane's social security benefits. So really odd questions one, immediately following your wife's death, and two, when you are such a wealthy person. Like, mm-hmm. like, it's not like you need that money to bury her or something like that. Yeah, you don't need the money, you know, for a lawyer or for funeral. Like, I mean, you bought her a $60,000 ring. <laughs> you clearly have money. You have a huge ranch worth a lot of money, which we'll get into later. But, um, and remember, Tex and Diane did have separate finances, but he was also independently wealthy, so... Again, no reason that he should need that money. and But Texas' sister Dixie couldn't believe that people thought he wasn't behaving appropriately. She said that he cried all the time and was clearly devastated. And in another attempt to improve his image, Tex volunteered to take a lie detector test. Um, It was administered by someone chosen by his attorney, and Tex did pass. Which, we know lie detectors are not reliable either way, but probably especially not so when your attorney sets up the whole thing, you know? Probably not. (laughs) So a month later, U.S. Enterprises held a company-wide memorial service for Diane, and Dixie thought the service was odd because Diane's Jaguar was parked outside with a rose on top, and the inside was full of mannequins wearing Diane's clothing. That's weird. Please don't do that to me. Like, I get maybe that's a thing, but please don't. I don't want that. (laughs) The car, I could maybe... It's still kind of weird, but I could maybe see... Maybe the clothes on the mannequins is really weird. Especially mm. because, like, if you have a Jaguar car, like, clearly that's probably your prized possession. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I get that. But, yeah, the mannequins with the clothes, kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, maybe that's just, I mean, I'm from the South and I've never heard of this. But maybe that's just the way she wanted. <laughs> maybe she told someone, like, when I go, this is what I want. And maybe they fulfilled that, you know? Maybe that's just what she wanted. <laughs> you know Maybe it was a joke and someone took it seriously. So if y'all ever make a joke about what you want after you die, just make sure you make it to the right person because you might end up with something that you really didn't want. But, I mean, they did say that she really valued her jewelry and her furs and those sorts of things. But anyway, the whole thing is really weird. Um, And then Dixie also realized that there wasn't a single photo of Diane with Tex and that he was not included in the memorial video that was shown that night either. So even though he was her husband of... 11 years at this point he was not included in any of this part of the memorial service so she's like okay clearly they think that this was intentional and everyone's trying to kind of like push him out here yeah 
So two and a half months after Diane's death, Tex put her furs, clothes, and jewelry up for sale against the advice of friends. Because as anyone can see, this this is kind of fishy to do this. Yes. Even if you're like innocent, don't do this. No. Um, 150 to 250 people were in line to get into the building before the auction started. Obviously, many people thought this was insensitive and callous of Tex, and Dixie didn't understand why people had a problem with this either, and she said it was necessary because while Diane was wealthy, her estate was cash poor, and she said she had left money to many individuals in her will, and they had to sell her belongings to raise the cash to pay what Diane had requested, which... I don't know about that. I think if there's just not... Because, I mean, I could put in my will, give a million dollars to someone, and if it's not there, they'll just be like, sorry, it's not It doesn't exist, yeah. It's not like... I mean, if that was the case, like, how many of these, like, where someone kills their partner will we see, like, put a million (laughs) dollars, like, to this person, and they're like, we got to come up with the money somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) It's very, very odd. But maybe also we just don't know enough people with that much money that... We know how that whole thing works because I have no idea, but I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Also, Tex had another incident that kind of showed his impulsivity and anger issues. So back in 1990, three teenagers pulled up in his cul-de-sac where he lived at the time and were drinking and partying in their car, possibly doing drugs. They're teenagers. Who knows what they were doing? Um, probably smoking oregano and being like, ooh, I'm so high. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we've all been there. Okay. <laughs> That sounds like something that uh, Tex and his group of friends would do. (laughs) So he could look out his window and see them there, and it really, really bothered him. Um, And he felt they just didn't belong here. So he responded by sending two large dogs after these kids and fired a gun into the air and then at the vehicle when it went by. Okay. No. So. No. You could just call the cops, and the cops would be like, you gotta go to these teenagers. <laughs> yeah, that's unnecessary. So, this is pretty clearly an attack because two of the bullets went through the left side of the car. Um, and all of this was after he'd gone outside and yelled at them, too. So, he claimed that they were charging at him with their car, but clearly they were driving away because if they were charging at him, the bullets would be in the front of the car mm-hmm. and they were driving away. So, the bullets were like the back side of the car. Like, Mm-hmm. Dude, your story does not line up. <laughs> does not make sense. They did end up settling out of court. I think, like, the teenagers and their parents just, like, didn't want to get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he just agreed to pay for the damages to the car, even though he was originally charged with three counts of aggravated assault. So this just kind of shows, like, even back then, Tex was a little bit unstable and how quickly he is to just pull out a gun and use it. Mm-hmm. Um Not great gun safety. Not great gun handling. (laughs) Not great. He reminds me a lot of uh, the people that murdered Ahmed Aubrey. Exactly. Just being like, I gotta get it. Mm -hmm. Where's my gun? I gotta shoot it. I gotta shoot it. I'm I'm gonna take care of this problem. It's not even really a problem and it's absolutely none of my business, Mm -hmm. but I'm gonna get involved and shoot someone. Yeah. Okay. So on December 21st, 2016, Tex was arrested and charged with involuntary manslaughter and reckless conduct. Tex had avoided a murder charge, but he still just, like, could not believe he was charged with anything. Because he's like, it's an accident. How am I being Mm -hmm. charged with anything? Which, you can be charged with an accident. (laughs) And in, um, I think it was in the Dateline episode, his sister was like, 
well, yeah, like, it was an accident, but you still did it. Like, you're still mm-hmm. legally responsible. Like, she was kind of like, what do you mean you don't understand why you were charged for this? Like, you avoided a murder charge. You should be grateful for that. Yeah, like, and that's why these, like, involuntary manslaughter exist because it's like, you did something careless that led to someone's death. Like, you didn't, you know, premeditate it. You weren't, like, heated yeah. the passion trying. But, like, somebody did die unnecessarily at your hands. Exactly. And he was released on bond. So one condition was that he could not own any guns. So his friend and neighbor, Jane Calhoun, went to his house and apartment to try to just find any she could and, like, get rid of them. And boy, did she find a lot. (laughs) So there was about four pistols in a closet, guns stored in Diane's closet, and at the ranch, they retrieved about 35 guns. Whew. Yeah. So they stored them in an evidence locker at the station, and about 20 were rifles, and the rest were handguns. So he clearly has a lot of guns. Like, he had a gun range at his yeah. ranch. Like, you should know how to properly use a exactly. gun. Like, if you have that many weapons, you know safety precautions. You know how to make mm-hmm. sure that nothing happens with them. Yeah. And at this point, Danny Joe had started becoming more suspicious about Tex's behavior the night of the accident and in the month that followed. I think we can all agree it's a little suspicious. Doesn't mean he tried to murder her, but it's pretty suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that while they were on the way to the hospital, Tex asked her to slow down because there might be people out with baby carriages. But like we said, it was like 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think it's likely that someone's going to be out there with a baby in a stroller. Like super common it's not like you're at like a like a baby event somewhere where there's <laughs> women with strollers everywhere like it's a very odd thing to say yeah um danny joe was also curious about texas choice of hospital so they were within five miles of four different hospitals at the time of the shooting and he chose the emory university hospital which was the furthest away at about 4.3 miles they were also only 3.2 miles away from grady hospital which has one of the best trauma centers in Georgia and would be the first place someone would think to go for a gunshot wound. Like, I think we've all kind of probably heard of Grady Hospital. Like, mm-hmm. it's pretty famous. Like, yeah. Um, and again, like, maybe he was just, like, panicked and was like, I've been to this place before. Just go there, you know? Like, mm-hmm. maybe. It wasn't yeah. too... It wasn't significant. It wasn't like they went 10 miles away. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But it's still kind of weird. To me, the whole, you know, slow down because of baby carriages is much more suspicious than the choice of hospital. But it's like, like we talked about before, you have those little things that alone aren't really that big of a deal. But when you compound them all together, that's when each one starts to seem like more significant. Exactly. So the sheriff argued that class level may have played a role in his choice of hospital. Um, So he said Grady was more associated with low-income individuals, while Emory was a more affluent hospital and likely the one Tex would have immediately thought of. So maybe he's like, oh, we're rich. We got to go to Emory. We can't go to that one. Mm -hmm. And Danny Joe said after they arrived at the hospital, Tex told her that he didn't trust the police and he didn't want her wrapped up in everything. And he was like, you should just tell them you're just a family friend who stopped by to check on Diane. And Danny Joe's like, um, I can't do that because I literally just drove you to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he responded by saying that the police didn't know that. Mm. Which, again, if this is an accident, you should just be like, this is everything that happened. We're not going to yeah. change anything. We're not going to be suspicious about anything. Mm-hmm. And what is she going to be wrapped up in? She didn't do anything. <laughs> exactly. Like, 
like she's not responsible for what happened and yeah if it's an accident why are you trying to change what happened you would just this is what happened yeah and he was also saying Danny Joe he was also calling Danny Joe saying don't talk to the police don't say this he was leaving voicemails and then saying at the end like be sure and delete this voicemail like trying to just influence like what she was saying so Danny Joe shared her concern with Diane's colleagues who were suspicious as well Meanwhile, Fulton County Prosecutor Clint Rucker was reviewing the evidence and didn't really think it was an accident. So he said the gun showed no signs of malfunctioning and that it required 12 pounds of pressure to pull the trigger, so it's kind of unlikely it would somehow get discharged on its own. Um, The Generation Y podcast kind of went a lot into, like, gun mechanics and how, like, cocked versus uncocked guns and how they go off. Very interesting. Go listen to them. But I didn't put it in because I would just be regurgitating what they said and not really, (laughs) not really fully knowing how it works. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But with this type of gun and the way it was, it would have required 12 pounds of pressure, which is a lot for you to accidentally go off. Yeah. Like you can't just like bump it with your elbow and it Mm -hmm. go off. So Diane's computer and documents were seized from her employer in the hopes of finding additional information. And while they discovered... What they discovered here could point towards a possible motive. So in April of 2017, they subpoenaed to view Tex's financial documents, and they wanted to see if Tex had a financial motive to kill Diane as well. And they found documents suggesting that Tex was in financial trouble. So his hours at work had been reduced. He was 75 years old at this point, and his salary had been reduced by about half. So his monthly expenses at this ranch that we mentioned that are his over-the-top ranch were about twenty to $25,000 a month just to keep the ranch up and going. Mm-hmm. Imagine his electricity bill. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not including his Atlanta mm-hmm. apartment either. Like, this is just one portion. This isn't all of his monthly expenses. This is a very small portion of his monthly expenses. Yeah. And he'd been asking Diane for additional loans to stay afloat up to about $350,000. Apparently, she did loan him some of this money to help with their taxes as well since they had separate finances. Like, I guess it kind of be like, we'll probably have to pay less taxes because it looks like we have less money or, mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever rich people do. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We've never had that problem. We don't know. <laughs> nope. <laughs> However, Tex did not pay her back when he said she, he would. And her colleagues said that she'd been working on a new will. And they searched both the ranch and their Atlanta condo for signs of this will, and they didn't find it, but they did find a Glock inside of the condo, which was a violation of Texas parole. So they came in here, find this gun, like, all right, buddy, like, we told you, no guns. Mm -hmm. You got a gun. Mm. So Tex was arrested and put back in jail. They don't really know, like, there's some speculation that maybe they just missed it because they did find so many guns. Yeah. some people think maybe he went and got a gun back. Some text claims the gun was planted there by Diane's friends or someone who knew the police were coming back. So he's saying, like, somebody's setting me up to get taken back to jail. Mm-hmm. That's just what he claims. We don't have evidence for that. Whatever it was, a gun was found. Mm-hmm. The next day, the prosecution announced that a grand jury had been hearing testimony for weeks and had decided to charge Tex with murder in addition to other serious charges related to the incident. So, Texas trial started in March of 2018, 
and the prosecution claimed that Tex's motive was money. So again, Tex and Diane had separate finances. Diane was very wealthy. She enjoyed spoiling her family and friends, um, but she did also loan out money to friends in need. And when she loaned out money, she treated it very seriously and expected collateral in case it was not paid back. She also had friends sign documents with a notary to confirm the deal. So she's like, sure, like I'll loan you money, but this is going to be a business transaction. Like I'm going to make sure that I get my money back. And that's the thing too. Like she wasn't like born wealthy from what I understand. Like mm-hmm. she like made all her own money. So she's like, I'm not going to be like hand me outs here. Like we're going to make mm-hmm. it like I'll loan you money, but you have to pay me back or I'm going to go broke. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. I completely get it. Exactly. So before they got married, Diane had loaned Tex $750,000, and he gave her half of the ranch as collateral. So later, she loaned him another $350,000, and he used his half of the ranch as collateral and stated that Diane could sell it if he did not pay her back. So now he's basically given her the whole ranch and collateral for the money that she's giving him. Mm -hmm. So Diane's income had continued to increase while Tex's decreased in the years before her death. So Tex was supposed to pay Diane this $350,000 by December of 2014, but he did not. So at this point, according to the legal agreement they had worked out, she now owned the entire ranch because they did have an official document that stated that was the deal. So like Courtney mentioned, supposedly a new will existed that Diane had created recently. Um, So at the trial, Diane's secretary testified that she remembered making copies of Diane's new will in 2014 or maybe 2015, um, and her original will was from 2006, which was the year after her and Tex got married. Um, But she now has an updated will, and supposedly in this will, Diane had left the ranch to their godson, Austin, which was against Tex's wishes. Um, However, the will was never found, so it's unknown if this is true or if the will even existed. But that would kind of make sense. I mean, at this point, Tex was about 75 here. Um, So just by, you know, nature's course, course, he's got on the (laughs) latter end of his life. And it would kind of make sense if she's like, well, you don't have enough money Mm -hmm. to even pay expenses. Like, I've had to loan you enough money that I own the ranch. Maybe we should just leave it Mm -hmm. to our godson who we both adore and we'll be able to use it in the future for, you know, if he wants to Mm -hmm. keep it, if he wants to sell it. Like, that kind of makes sense to me because you're probably thinking, like, Texas is not going to be around that much longer just by normal means. exactly. (laughs) So the prosecution also brought up the fact that Tex owned nearly 40 guns and would have known how to treat them more carefully, like we said. So when police asked him if he had ever gone through any safety training, he said no, that he was in the military, so he didn't worry about a revolver. But, like, you didn't have any gun safety training in the military because I'm pretty sure you would have. Yeah. And ER doctors testified the text did not mention any pre-existing conditions prior to giving him anxiety medication after learning that his wife had died. So just remember that because that's going to come up later. Um, The ER doctors also testified that Tex's attorney showed up that night at the hospital and they reported hearing one of them say something along the lines of, this is what you're going to tell them. So they're speculating that like, you know, your lawyer shows up literally as soon as your wife dies at the hospital after this accident. Like you aren't even taking time to like process the accident or grieve before you're getting legal counsel, which you are a lawyer yourself. So I'm sure you understand, you know, what's coming for you, but still kind of odd. Um, and especially if they're like directing what you're going to say in your statement. 
So Tex did have three high-powered and successful attorneys, but still insisted on participating in his own defense, which was against the advice of his attorneys. Um, But during the trial, an ER doctor also testified that before Diane went into surgery, she told her that her husband shot her, but that it was an accident. So she also said that she asked Diane if she wanted to see her husband before they took her back for surgery, and she said no. Um, Another compelling witness for the defense was the doctor who had been treating Tex for a sleep disorder called confusional arousal for the past decade. So supposedly, this disorder caused Tex to jerk and have muscle spasms in his sleep, which just leads back to what we said earlier. Maybe don't fall asleep holding a weapon in general, but especially if you have a sleep disorder that causes you to jerk in your sleep. And you've been dealing with this for a decade. Yeah. So it's not like you're like, oh, I forgot because I was told last month. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And like I said just a minute ago, remember that Tex told the ER doctors that he didn't have any pre-existing conditions when they gave him anxiety medication, which I would think that you would mention a sleep disorder that you've had for 10 years when they're giving you anxiety medication and they ask about pre-existing conditions. And additional information surfaced that it took Tex 42 days to pick up his wife's ashes. So he claimed that he didn't have the money and it was around $2,000. And eventually a friend paid for them and picked them up. But the funeral home stated that they allowed family members to take the remains home immediately after the ceremony, even if they weren't able to pay. So they're like, we don't hold on to the ashes. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we may send you to collections and figure that out later, but we don't withhold the remains if you can't pay. Yeah. Um, But later, her ashes were found tucked in the back of a closet at Texas House. So that's just a clear indication of how he feels about his dead wife. Yeah. And when the jury returned, they stated that they were deadlocked, but the judge didn't accept this and sent them back to continue deliberations. So after 29 total hours of deliberation, the jury returned with a verdict of non-guilty for malice murder. However, they did find Tex guilty of the following charges. Felony murder, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, possession of a firearm in commission of a felony, and influencing witnesses. Um, basically, Danny Joe when he was trying to tell her, you know, mm-hmm. to change her story. Um, So, essentially, the jury believed that Tex did not mean to kill Diane, but that he did intentionally shoot her, and she died of those injuries. So, to me, it's a very specific thought to have. I'm not quite sure how they came to that conclusion. Um, Because I feel like a good portion of the time, if you plan to shoot someone in the back, you are probably planning to kill them. But And then, at his sentencing hearing, Tex said that he would miss, in this order his godson Austin, the food at Chick-fil-A, and then his wife Diane. What? You said what at your sentencing hearing? I mean, we all love a good Chick-fil-A nugget, but (laughs) you're gonna... It's weird. Yeah. A very weird thing to say at your sentencing hearing. Um, Tex has also never publicly apologized for killing his wife. Like, even though... This happened. You claim it was an accident. Okay. You, I'm sure, would still feel horrible about this if it was an accident. And I'm sure you would apologize publicly to her family, to your joint friends, whatever. Um, So Tex MacGyver was sentenced to life in prison. Um, As far as I know, there have not been any updates, you know, to this. Again, the trial was in 2018. So fairly recently, haven't heard any updates. Um, You know, he is in his 70s. So I'm sure that... He will likely die in prison. So that is the mysterious um, death slash 
murder slash manslaughter, who knows, of Diane Smith MacGyver. Yeah, this one is like a weird one to me because mm-hmm. when I was listening to the Generation Y podcast on it, they brought up a great point where it's like, it doesn't seem like it's like first degree murder because in order to plan this, that means Danny Joe would have had to have been a part of it because how could Tex mm-hmm. account for the fact that there would be traffic and they would get off on this exit and he's asleep. So clearly like that part to me feels like, was he just like, this is my opportunity. Like, I can blame it. You know what I mean? Like, being like, mm-hmm. I mean, I can do it. And maybe it was just an accident. But, like, the way he reacted after is just, like, maybe even if it was an accident, he doesn't regret it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he probably does now that he's in prison. But, like, <laughs> that's just the thing. Is like, it's so weird. And, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe Danny Joe was a part of it. And it was just some big thing. Hmm. I mean, I don't want to, like, drag her into it or something, but I do think it's, like, yeah. very odd if it was, like, premeditated. So I get why the jury could be like, I don't mm-hmm. know about that, but I don't know. I It's weird. I mean, yeah, like, maybe he was waiting for the right opportunity to kill his wife, so it's like, this could have happened a year before or a year later or at some point, because he's like, you know, hmm, let me figure out a way to... Um, do this eventually but also the money motive is odd because like they don't share finances so i'm sure in her will some stuff was left to him but it's also not like he would automatically get everything i don't know it just seems it's very very weird and like Mm -hmm. the whole thing and it's like i mean we have seen before where people like kill people and try to blame like people on the street so maybe he was like Mm -hmm. woke up and it's like oh we're in a quote sketchy area like this could be it and just kind of went for it or whatever but i mean clearly if you were trying to play it off as an accident you didn't do a good job (laughs) really sucked at it yeah and you didn't do yourself any favors. Like, literally, I think a lot of how he acted is the reason he got such serious charges, too. You know, like, yeah. trying to change people's mind and all that stuff is, like, kind of why it elevated the way it did. Like, because, I mean, he was just originally charged with... Um, Involuntary manslaughter. Yeah. So, it's like, if he hadn't, like you said, gone through trying to manipulate witnesses and all this stuff, it's like, it probably wouldn't have been as bad for him. Or if he was, like publicly oh my gosh I'm so sorry like this is terrible like I want to go to prison to serve Mm -hmm. my time for this mistake I made versus being like how dare I get charged for an accident like those behaviors that yeah probably led to it ending up as badly as it did for him Um, but you know super sad obviously for Diane and for her family for that to be the way that she ends up dying yeah super super tragic super heartbreaking so Courtney what is your perk of the week Okay, so my perk of the week is yesterday I went on a day trip with Kevin and my parents, and it was super fun, and we went and, like, had breakfast, and then we drove through, like, the Blue Ridge Parkway just to kind of get, like, into nature, and I saw two elks. We almost hit an elk. Thankfully, my dad saw it and stopped because it just ran right across the street right in front of us. Um, This story has so many twists and turns. (laughs) But then, like, we went, they have this little, like homestead thing where they've brought in all these different like cabins from different people who lived in the area to be like this is how they used to live Mm -hmm. and here's like some information and they had like a bunch of like chicken and like pigs and it was super cute and super fun and then um 
then, you know, we just kind of rode the parkway and, like, got to get out in nature. And it was really nice because life has been something lately, especially with COVID. So it was nice to just kind of get away <laughs> and have a nice day out. Yeah, that is super nice. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and elk are massive. They look <laughs> huge. Because I was like, was that a deer? And we're like, that was like a deer on steroids, which was an elk. Which is it. Um, but yeah, it was super cool, super fun. Um, but yeah, that is my perk of the week. Jacqueline, what is your perk of the week? So my perk of the week, um, we've had family starting to come in to meet our baby. Um, so that's super exciting. My mother-in-law was here last weekend. My dad, my brothers, my sister-in-law, my nephew were here this weekend. Um, so very nice to see everyone and they can finally get to meet our baby and love on her and give her, you know, all the attention and snuggles and all the good things. Um, we also went on a short trip up to DC for the day. Uh, my dad has always wanted to go to DC, so he was super excited to see all the monuments and the White House. And, you know, it was just like the excitement on his face was totally worth it. Um, even though we got stuck in traffic on the way back and it took us four hours to go 110 miles, but totally worth it um, for him to get to experience something that he's always wanted to. And hopefully we can go back again and, you know, him be able to do more things. But yeah, that is my perk of the week that getting all of this um, family time and so our baby girl can have those people in her life as well. Yeah. Get her socialized young. <laughs> yes. And... Um, at the time you were hearing this, she will have already met her Aunt Courtney, so I'm sure she is going to be super excited about that. Yes. I'm going to get all the baby <laughs> snuggles until she starts crying, and then I'll be like, oops, not my problem anymore. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the best thing about other people's babies. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you guys want to tell us about babies and trips and things that make you happy and you know the drill, um, you can find us on Instagram at Caffeinated Crimes Pod. Um, on Twitter at Calf Crimes Pod, that's C A F F Crimes Pod. On Facebook at Caffeinated Crimes Podcast. You can email us at Caffeinated Crimes Pod at Gmail. And if you feel so inclined, you can head on over to patreon.com slash caffeinated crimes, where for a small monthly donation, you can get some bonus content, you can get some hangouts and some QAs and some gifts and all kinds of fun stuff. So check it out and see if there's anything over there that tickles your fancy and come join us yeah and as we said this is clearly your favorite podcast that you listen to so show us how much you love us if you hate us don't don't listen anymore just turn off um but if you <laughs> love <here>. us <laughs> go give us a review on apple reviews once we get to 50 we're gonna pick someone and we're gonna give a pin a sticker and a 10 dollars gift card to the coffee shop of your choice Please leave some identifying information. We cannot enter you if we don't know you exist. Um, if you're just yes. a number and not a name, not much we can do. But please go do that. We would love to have your guys' reviews. That's kind of how we get noticed. And, you know, hopefully we can get more listeners, more Patreons, get some more content out for you guys. That's what we really want to do. So please head over and do that. Um, I think that is all we have. So in the meantime, go have a cup of coffee. And don't commit a crime. Mm -hmm.